1: So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited
2: Premium Wireless: How to get thirty? Thirty. How to get thirty? How to get twenty? Twenty. Twenty. How to get twenty? Twenty. How to get fifteen? Fifteen. 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 Just fifteen bucks a month. So,
1: give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you
2: do learn is What well, I learned at 20 is new. Equity, equity Mates! The podcast where we break down the world of investing to make it easy and accessible for you. Welcome to episode 17. And for the first time in a long time, I'm here with my equity buddy in real person. We're not recording over Skype like we usually
0: would. I'm down in Melbourne. Uh, How are you, Ren? I'm really good, Bryce. Good to be with you. Yes, it is great. Great to be seeing you in person. (laughs) I know. It's been a long
2: time. It has. It has. So, this episode is all about uh, investing styles and what works for you. And there's five investing styles that we're going to be going through today. Some that we have discussed in previous episodes others that we may have briefly touched on, but we thought we'd take this opportunity to really go through some of the key characteristics of these investing styles to sort of find what may work for you yeah. and what style's good yeah. for you.
0: I know when I started investing, I would have really liked to know the different ways people invest. Because you can get lost in all the charts and the different numbers and the different things that different people talk about. Uh, and it's good to just know what the different styles are, what you should look for, you know, what, what styles you understand. So, and it's yeah. a good uh,
2: basis as well, you know, when you're reading articles, doing research to get an understanding of what these guys are talking about because if someone's talking about quantitative investing, you yeah. might have no idea. So yeah. this is going to be the podcast that lays it all out for you and as always, um, we're going to start with what have you learnt this week? Yeah. So, do you want to kick this one off, friend?
0: Yeah, sure. Well, look, after your Netflix recommendation last week, Which was an absolute hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you watch I, it? I haven't yet. I haven't okay. yet. Uh, but I thought I should bring a Netflix recommendation to the table <laughs> okay. to start with. Uh,
2: Movie review podcast. Yeah, on? yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> nah, look, this isn't the my what I learned, but just I, I did say something on Netflix that I thought people would appreciate. Okay. Uh, it's called Silicon Cowboys. Uh, And it's about Compaq, the computer company, and how they took on IBM, who was, you know, the only player in computing at that time, or the biggest player in computing at that time. Uh, So, for anyone interested in the early days of Silicon Valley, uh, good one to check out. Interesting. Yeah.
2: And what was the result of the documentary, or will it give too much away? Uh,
0: Well, they are still a company, so... yeah. Okay. Um, no. So, what's,
2: what's been your major learning then outside of uh, Netflix?
0: Yeah, okay. So, I have just finished a book uh, yeah. called Buffettology. Okay. Now, it was written by Mary Buffett, who is Warren's daughter-in-law, okay. married one of Warren's sons. Okay. And it's a great book. Highly recommend it. Check out the upcoming book review that we'll be putting on Facebook and on our website. But... There was something I took out of it that I thought is a really useful learning. Mm -hmm. Now, the book was written in 1996, Mm -hmm. so we're looking at about 20 years ago now. And at the end of the book, Mary lists 54 companies that Warren has invested in. And that gives us a great insight into some of the things he looks for. But my biggest takeaway from that is that you don't have to bat 100 as an investor. No one... Nails every one of their stock picks, Mm. and you can you can become the richest man in the world like Warren Buffett without nailing all of your stock picks. So I thought I'd run through some of them just to give you an idea of how poorly some of them have gone. Okay, but also we'll we'll celebrate some of his successes as well. Good idea. So you know there were some absolute cracking investments in there. Um, Now there's a term that I'm going to use here. It's called it's split adjusted, and what that means is. Uh, if I buy a stock for $2 yeah. and then they split it, so as a shareholder, if I own one stock and they do a two-for-one split, then I have two stocks. If I paid $2 for that one stock and then they split it, my split adjusted price is $1. Yeah. But your
2: yeah. total value is
0: still the same. Its total value is still the same, but because they doubled the amount of shares that I own, yeah. you have the split adjusted price that you paid. Yeah. Um, The reason that I want to introduce that term is that a lot of the stocks that Warren bought have split. So we'll talk about what he paid in split adjusted terms. Okay. So let's go through some of his big winners just to give you an idea of some of the ones he hit on.
2: Quick question before is this 54? Did she give a reason why these fifty-four, or are they all fifty-four at the time of writing that he was invested in? Were there any others that he was invested in? She hadn't mentioned. Oh, pr- probably. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Um So this is just a, a list of notable ones.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was to illustrate some of the ideas that she's talking about in the books. Uh, yeah. Sorry, in the book, uh, some of the things that he looks for when he's picking stocks. Um, okay. And yeah, just you know, to give people something to start their research, I guess. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, some of some of his big winners. So Coca-Cola, yeah. he paid $4.64 a share in split-adjusted terms. They're now in 2017 worth $45. So he's done pretty well with that. He's made 10 times his money. Uh, Walt Disney, he paid $6.48 in split-adjusted terms, now $102. Wow. Yeah, McDonald's, $11.25, now $159.00. Uh, Tiffany, the jewellery maker, $0.78 a share, now $88. (laughs) Walmart, $5.57, now $78. So, I mean, like, when when you pick a winner and you hold a winner, you can do very well for yourself. Mm -hmm. And these are the companies that Warren's sort of known for and Mm -hmm. he's obviously where he's made most of his money. But, yeah, yeah, there's always a but coming. (laughs) He also has had some shockers. And we all have shockers. I very publicly on this podcast talked about one of my early shockers with Slater and Gordon. But some of Warren's shockers, there was a company called Circuit City that was a big uh, technology uh, retailer. I guess in Australia, your equivalent would be like Harvey Norman or something. Uh, He bought them for about $30 a share in 1996. Well, that's what they were trading for in 1996. By 2009, there were $0.04 a share, and then they declared bankruptcy. Lost everything. Lost everything. Wow. Another one, Bear Stearns. Now, some of you guys might have heard about this from the financial crisis. Uh, When they float, I had trouble finding their 1996 share price, but they floated in the 80s at around $25 a share. Pre-GFC, they got up to $180 a share. But then after the GFC, they got bought out for $10 a share. Wow. Yeah. So he would have lost money on that. You can look at some companies that still exist and he wouldn't have done that well on. So he bought, uh, there's a company in America, the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't really matter what they do. In 1996, that split adjusted, they were trading at about $5.13 a share. They're now $2.47 a share. So the the value is more than halved. Uh, Another one, New York Times. Everyone's heard of them. They used to be a huge company. Yeah, Rivers of Gold because of the advertising. In the mid '90s, they were trading around fourteen dollars, fifteen dollars a share, split adjusted. Now they're only eighteen dollars. So you know, in twenty years, they've increased a couple of dollars. Yeah, Yeah. so not a lot. Yeah, Yeah, so it, it was just an interesting takeaway that you hear about his success, but even the greatest investor of all time. He doesn't pick every. He doesn't nail every pick. Mm. It, it is impossible to do so, and mm. it's silly to think that mm. anyone can. Yeah, good lesson. Yeah, so you know, take your take your beatings and just keep keep trying, and mm. who knows? Mm. I wonder
2: if those companies that he's had winners on, or even all of those companies, I know he well, he obviously still holds a lot of them because that's his strategy. Mm. But would he necessarily buy them from scratch again? Yeah, you know that, that's I mean? a good question. Yeah. Because those companies back in the day certainly yeah. probably don't have the growth prospects today that they yeah. would have yeah. 20 years ago. I mean,
0: especially a company like Coca Cola. Yeah. You, you yeah. think, you know, people's aversion to sugar and yeah. stuff like that, more yeah. competition in the drink space. Yeah. Yeah. They're very, they're much more expensive than they would have been back in the day. Mm. But. Who knows? You know, like, the thing is, in the mid-90s, these companies were, were household names, yeah. like Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Walt Disney, Tiffany, Walmart, all yeah. five of them, like, yeah. they were big brands. Yeah. So, it's not like he's, you know, picking obscure stocks that no one's True. ever heard of. True. He's just recognizing that uh, what they're trading for then is good value. Yeah. He's um, always been one for brand power as well. Mm, power yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, okay, so what did you learn? Well, I promised that
2: I would ink step up my game from <laughs> last week, which is purely a Netflix documentary, um, which I still recommend you watch. Yeah, I will, I'll we'll get to it, <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: So there's been a lot of chat and we've spoken a lot about um, Amazon, Yeah. the big online retailer, but what we haven't really spoken about is the other hidden giant in Alibaba, okay. And for those that aren't aware of what Alibaba is, it's, Alib- that,
0: it's that kebab shop, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the
2: kebab shop <laughs> on the corner just <laughs> down from my street. Yeah. So yes, there is an Alibaba kebab shop. The one I'm talking about is the uh, the Chinese online retailer. Yeah. A huge company, the equivalent of um, Amazon, but for the Asian market. Yeah. And yeah. in fact, it's bigger than Amazon. Two things that I've learned and that I want to highlight. They have just done, and in line with our reporting season episode last week, they released a number of figures that, um, for their last financial year that I thought I would point out just to give everyone an indication of just how big these guys are Mm. to sort of paint the picture a bit. And so let's just start with annual active buyers on the Chinese retail marketplace reached... Four hundred and fifty-four million people. Okay. Yeah. So that's more than the, the population of the United States. Yeah.
0: But still, is only what a third of China's population. Yeah. yeah. So
2: their growth potential. Yeah. Yeah. Is enormous. Do you know if that's all in China? So, it says they're our in their financial report. So it says ac- annual active buyers on our China retail marketplaces. Okay. Was f- four hundred and fifty-four right. million. So
0: people. in China. Yeah. That's unreal. So
2: that just gives you an idea of the scale in which these guys are operating. Now, to give you an idea of their revenue, they had an increase of 56% to $22 (laughs) (laughs) Um, Revenue from cloud computing increased 121% up to almost a billion. Um, They're in digital media. They're in um, innovation initiatives, and the increase in the Chinese marketplace was thirty-one million. So I just want to highlight that this goes into my next point, which is they are now going into retail stores, bricks and mortar. So like Amazon, they're recognizing that they need a footprint on the ground. Yeah. And what they're doing is like China, I mean like Amazon, is merging retail bricks and mortar with technology. So what they've done over the last twelve months has they've blended um, their online marketplace so that customers can order, um, buy, and also get delivered um, products from these bricks and mortar um, shop fronts. So they can go in with their app and do all of it on their phone and walk out uh, with products. Okay. So that cuts down on the labour costs,
0: right? Oh, so you don't go through a checkout; you just. You like you pick something up off a shelf and buy it on your phone that's right oh, that's right okay
2: and they're integrating food clothing electronics all into this model and exciting thing for Australia is that their demand for produce yeah s- specifically okay. fresh and also a lot of our top quality nuts wine baby formula yeah is now being driven by this model okay and so they're trying to stop these supermarkets that they're developing with Australian produce and products. Right. So, I just wanted to say that, you know, both of us work in retail, and so it's interesting to see that their growth is massive, their market's huge, and, you know, everyone's talking about Amazon and the effect that it's going to have on the Australian retail market, but you've just got this hidden giant in Asia Mm. slowly ticking away, and who knows, one day they might be coming to Australia just like Amazon are, but... Yeah, it's interesting they're combining technology um, with bricks and mortar stores in a way that is almost, they're trying to make it seamless.
0: It's funny that they both, Amazon and Alibaba start as online e-commerce retailers and then they both go into cloud computing Mm. and now they're both moving into bricks and mortar retailing, Mm. charting very similar Paths. paths, yeah.
2: And I just think it's really hard to go the other way.
0: So and go into e-commerce. It, yeah, yeah, right.
2: For, you know, the Australian retailers who aren't known for their e-commerce, I think it's going to be very hard to get that brand image in consumers' minds. Yeah, that yeah. That's an option as well.
0: Oh, I mean, brand image and then also just the logistics of yeah. it all and, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a completely different ballgame to filling a big store or a big supermarket or anything like that. A real battle, especially yeah, in,
2: yeah it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens.
0: yeah. We keep will on about. it'll be It'll be interesting to see if they are ever directly competing in a new market together. You know, like, mm. Amazon's mm. currently competing in India, but maybe they both go to Vietnam at the same time or something. And mm. it'll be interesting to see how these two giants who do very similar things mm. who wins. Mm. Yeah, My bet's on Alibaba, I reckon. In Asia, my yeah. bet would be on Alibaba. Yeah. It would be very interesting to see in an Australian context. Because yeah. Amazon, you know, obviously, they... They've got a little bit of a footprint here. They're already starting to roll some things out. Mm. You know, they've got experience going into new markets. Mm. But Alibaba is from China, Australia's biggest trading partner. There's probably some efficiencies they can get there. They just don't know. have the media attention that
2: Amazon does. No, the that is true. Yeah. So, yeah. Amazon yeah. is already a known name. Yeah.
0: If you want to say something crazy, just talking about Alibaba, Google China Singles Day. Okay. It's the biggest e-commerce, or it's the biggest... Trading day in anywhere in the world, um, and it is just like a 24-hour Um And Alib- Alibaba, have like you know they get Western celebrities in to you know do concerts that are televised, and they are advertising their products through this day and. They sell, you know, I think at this stage, it's like billions of dollars worth of product in one day. Wow. Yeah, China Singles Day. Everyone should Google it. It's crazy.
2: Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, now to the main segment. As we said, we're going to break down five fundamental, well, we're going to break down five investing styles and go through them. We're going to talk about some of the characteristics. I'm going to play a bit of a game with Ren at the start. <laughs> test his knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> he threw me... Well, not threw me under the bus. but <laughs> he me tests last week. No, and you passed with four dollars. We'll give you some tools that you can use. Um, we'll talk about some of the books you can read for these styles and will also make mention of any notable investors yeah. that um, are out there utilising this style to their advantage. So...
0: I, I reckon the, the best thing to do is to listen to the different characteristics and think about what resonates with you and what makes the most sense to you. Yeah. Because I know for me personally, there's one that just intuitively makes sense yeah. to me and the others not as much. And, and so I naturally resonate towards that. And we'll do a wrap-up with that at the
2: end. So... Here we go. I'm going to do a, a who am I to Ren and the who am I are going to be based around the characteristics of these investing styles. Now, <laughs> yeah. some of them may be a bit, <laughs> a bit left field, but we'll, <laughs> we'll start with the, with one of them and see how we go. So, one of my goals is to determine the intrinsic value of a company and to compare it to the market price. My analysts determine the health and performance of a company by looking at key numbers and economic indicators. If you're an investor evaluating financials, company management, macroeconomic, industry conditions, then you're investing in my style. And using financials such as return on equity, earnings, future growth, cash flow, Warren Buffett invests in my style to find underlying value of a company.
0: Okay. Who am I? Who are you? That would be a fundamental investor. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So,
2: the first investing style we're going to discuss is known as fundamental. And as I mentioned in there, it has a few characteristics that we've generally spoken about a fair number of times during this podcast. So, (laughs) Ren, do you want to give a couple of characteristics about investing in a fundamental way?
0: In a nutshell, think about stocks as the companies that they represent, uh, and you look at how the company's going. You look at its financial statements and see how much money it's making. You look at its competitors and you know demand and stuff like that and see how much money it could make. Uh, and then you invest in it if you think it's a good value buy or you know it's going to grow a lot. You don't worry too much about the day-to-day fluctuations. Yeah. You think about the with a long. You think in the longer term manner um, about the stock as the business. Yeah. Yeah. This is where
2: you're buying the actual business. I mean, you are in in all investing, but yeah, this is that mentality. You look at everything from management through to, as you mentioned, the financials, profit and loss statements, and you try and come
0: up with your own underlying value. So I guess under fundamentals, so fundamental as like a broad label, you're looking at companies and how they're going to go and how they're performing. Under that, there's probably three different ways that you can go about it. Mm -hmm. So doing your fundamental analysis and looking at the companies, you can try and look for value, which is the first one. And that's when you're looking for companies whose share price is lower than the intrinsic value, which is just a term that loosely means what the company is actually valued at based on how much money they're making and how much money they can make in the future. The second one is you do your fundamental analysis to try and find growth opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so that, you're not so much worried about the price you're paying now, but you're projecting forward based on their opportunities and how the company's set up and their management that they're going to grow a lot in the future. And that even if they're relatively expensive now, because of the growth opportunities, they will... That you'll still make money on them in the future. Mm. And then the third type is, which we might get some noise about, but I think it comes under fundamental, is you could be looking for income. Yeah. And so that, you're still doing fundamental analysis. You're yeah. still looking at a company. Sometimes you can be looking at other asset classes like bonds, but let's not get into that too yeah. much. But essentially, you're looking at whatever the investment opportunity is and looking at how much money it will make and how much... You, Of that, it pays back to its investors in income um, and you're trying to find good income streams from it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, although those three types of investing lead to very different companies, but they all require the same fundamental analysis to make those decisions. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. No, I
2: agree with that. And... You know, of a, of all the five, I couldn't really put them under anything else yeah. other than fundamental.
0: Yeah. Now, do we uh, do we know any fundamental investors? Do we have any equity mates that?
2: Well, the very first interview that we yeah. that we had on the show, Andrew Brown, episodes five and six, I think it was. Yeah. He is a fundamental
0: investor. Yeah. He it... truly puts the fun in fundamental. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, Andrew Brown, so he he actually sits down and nuts out, we, we were in his office and it's pretty crazy mm. just some of the stuff that he's doing, but yeah, wholeheartedly looking for true value yeah. in his investments yeah. and he is yeah, sitting there day in and day out trying to find stocks that he think are undervalued to yeah. what they're currently paying on the stock market. Yeah. So, if you really want to go back and have a listen to him, he was a fantastic interview and really nuts out what it means to be a, a value investor. Yeah and what, what are some of the things he does to look for value in a company.
0: Yeah, and to, get, to illustrate that example of you know growth, value, or income, so Andrew was talking about companies like uh, Channel 9 and Fairfax Media, who he did his fundamental analysis, looked at their balance sheet, looked at their annual reports, and thought that the price on the share market was lower than their actual value. And so they're the companies that he's attracted to. Mm. But if you're a growth investor, you would look at those companies and be like, well, there's not a lot of opportunities for growth. Mm. And you would be led towards companies, you know, these days it's more like seek.com, mm. real estate, mm. car sales, those mm. kind of companies. But then you could do your fundamental analysis, and if you were interested in income, you would you wouldn't be interested in any of those two sets of companies. You'd no. be thinking more along the lines of uh, some of the big miners like yeah. BHP and Rio yeah. or Telstra, Telstra yeah. yeah, companies like that. So you do you do the same analysis, you look at the same information, but depending on what you're interested in and where you think you know the investment strategy, what investment strategy you think makes the most sense, mm. you're going to be attracted to very different companies. Yeah, yeah.
2: In terms of tools that are used in this technical, well, in, in in this style, I guess all three of them would be looking at the basic financial statements of the business yeah. so that would be a good place to start now obviously for beginner investors if someone was to say let's find the value of this company like where do you start mm. you, you know it, yeah. it's a very skilled thing to be able to do and everyone has their own idea of yeah. what, what's important in a financial statement and what's not but it's worth highlighting that the general tools used to begin with in this style are financial statements profit and loss when you look at the things like debt cash flow that sort of stuff, as well as we mentioned before, you can look at their annual reports to get an idea of management and a a general sense of the industry as well. Yeah, definitely.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
0: Nice one. Um, Any books or anything that people can follow up if they're interested? Yeah, well, I've
2: read. Well, I think both of us have read The Intelligent Investor. Yeah, yeah which yeah. I think is definitely a great place to start. Yeah. very well known.
0: It's um, it's sometimes a bit of a slog to yeah. get through. Yeah. Um, it very was, old. Book. Yeah, it was written by Benjamin Graham, who was Warren Buffett's mentor. Yeah, and was really the father of value investing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the book that I spoke about earlier in the episode, Buffettology. By Mary Buffett, uh, I reckon that's the best book I've read on Warren. Wow! Just some of the detail, and it's it gets very specific, which is which is nice. Mm. So I would highly recommend that one as well. All right, I'm yeah. going to
2: get into that, and one that is a very easy read, very very easy read, and really lays out in a very clear and easy to understand fashion what is value investing as well. It's it's based on value investing and really gives some. Uh, tools that you can use right off the bat to try and start finding the values of companies is a book called Shopping for Shares which is one that um, I'll review in a few episodes coming up so I know ren has got his ideas about the book
0: <laughs> Bryce has been telling us that he's going to do this uh, this review for about what, six months now? <laughs> yeah It's, <five> <laughs> it's coming yeah, that's It's going to be one cracking review
2: <laughs> Pressure's on So and we'll just quickly finish on fundamentals with some famous investors of this style and uh, it goes without already, saying, yeah. yeah, Warren Buffett and mm-hmm. as as Brent also mentioned, Benjamin Graham yeah. too. The two big dogs, the fathers of this. Yeah.
0: One other that I'll throw out there just to plug one of my old blog posts. Uh, Seth Klarman is another mm-hmm. uh, very famous value investor. Uh, check out my review of his book, Margin of Safety. It, um,
2: Which was... Also recommended by Andrew Brown. So that's the first style, fundamental. As Ren has said, it covers value, income, and growth. That's yep. our way of looking at it. And um,
0: it's to- a, just in a nutshell, it's all about looking at the company. Yeah. yeah. It's about the company.
2: All right. So let's move on to the next Who Am I? Okay. I pay extra close attention to the numbers and not the intangibles, and operate at incredibly high speeds. I use complex mathematical models to try and identify any investing opportunities. I don't care about the management or value of the company. Computers enabled my style of investing, and teams of mathematicians, programmers, and investors work to build proprietary models to try and beat the market. It's often said that my style of
0: investing never loses money. Who am I? Never loses money, you say. Yeah, that's a big call. (laughs) Equity mate's hypothetical (laughs) portfolio. (laughs) Well, we're No, this this would be quantitative investing. Correct.
2: Quantitative investing. Now, some of you may have heard of it. Some of you may not have heard of it. I wouldn't be surprised if you hadn't because on a historical scale, it's a reasonably new
0: style of Pro- investing probably started to make ground in the 80s but really has shown its, its potential in the 90s and the 2000s yeah. yeah and what's the reason for that mate computers have been good at their jobs <laughs> 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 but, um, uh yeah so straight off the bat i think it's important that we make it clear that computers are now used in all types of trading, yes. you know, like fundamental analysts will use computers and they will use algorithms to try and identify trading opportunities. Yeah. When we're talking about quantitative trading here, um, we're talking about things that only computers can do. Yeah. So it's not, you know, I've built an algorithm to try and find growth companies or value companies. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about things outside of that realm where the computers are executing trades that humans can't do. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And these are these quantitative traders. Yeah, they're technology companies.
0: Oh, crazy yeah. technology companies! These are companies. Big these, dogs who have these are maths and science PhDs in a yeah. room building. Yeah. just the most outrageous algorithms and yeah, just oh, oh it is it is pretty phenomenal. They didn't yeah. sit there and study bachelor of commerce no, or finance. No, no, these no. are
2: serious. Computer nerds
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. who are making a lot of yeah. money. Yeah. So I guess maybe we can... The best way to explain it is by way of some examples. Yeah. So um, what some of the, the main ones, and one that you might have heard of is high-frequency trading. Yes. Uh, and so that's essentially where the algorithms trade on the, the tiniest differences in price on different exchanges Uh, And we're literally talking about them in milliseconds here. So there's a uh, fiber optic cable wire that runs from New York to Chicago in America. And it was built to get the time it would take to execute a trade or for information to flow through from 17 milliseconds down to 12 milliseconds. Which
2: which leads to millions and millions of
0: dollars. billions Billions and billions of dollars. Think about building a fiber optic network from Chicago to New York. Think about how much trouble Australia's had being <laughs> <Yeah. again. laughs> No, I mean
2: the difference in that point five of a millisecond is billions of dollars. Yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. it's it's but, so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so that's what we're talking about here. They they, literally trade so quickly and just on tiny little differences in you know the bid or the asking price for certain stocks or you know the. Uh, what it's listed on in the Chicago Commodities Exchange versus the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. And they just trade in such high volumes so quickly yeah. that, you know, you make like a fraction of a cent here, fraction of a the cent there, fraction of a cent, bang, yeah. bang, 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 and, and end of the day. It's... And as
2: you mentioned right at the start, these algorithms don't care at all that what this company is. The companies could no. be named A, B, C, D, E, yeah. F, G. All they're looking at is... Making, taking advantage of the price movements of the stock on the market. They don't look at anything to do with the fundamentals of the company at all. They're yeah. just algorithms that are trying to capitalize on the everyday... Well, on investors buying and selling and then trying to make a buck out of
0: it. Yeah. Now, the, the, the big question is, is this trading? Like, if these computers can just kill us as human mm-hmm. traders, like, what, what's the deal? Like, oh, what's the point of even trying... Um, I mean, I'd do it if I could. It's, yeah. <laughs> if I was a maths PhD, I'd be working for them. But no, nah, look, so they they invest very differently to the way that humans invest. And so it would be silly to try and beat them at their own game. Mm. But at the same time, if you uh, have a longer time horizon and if you are you know looking for companies that will grow and... Computers can do them but they're not necessarily doing them better than humans because for example if you're trying to identify growth companies the computer can look at things like financial Financials. statements yeah. and you know different ratios and yeah. pick things out but at the end of the day it comes down to human judgment yeah. about trends. market potential yeah. trends Brand. branding yeah. all that stuff yeah. so stick to what humans can do better than computers, yeah. at least until AI comes along and <laughs> flogs us on that as well. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, this is not really yeah. investing in its purest form, really. No. It's, it's, as as we said, just making use of incredibly powerful computers to take advantage yeah. of um, movements in price. Yeah.
0: And, you know, people... There are arguments for this, like, high-frequency trading and some of the different other, you know, statistical arbitrage and stuff that uh quant's do uh it gives markets liquidity and stuff yeah, like that it yeah. closes the bid ask spread yeah. these are all terms that a lot of listeners won't understand don't worry i don't really either <laughs> <laughs> um and you don't need to like no, no. it's it is a different world and it's a world that i'm fascinated by but i'm not smart enough to be a part we'll of never and, be involved. you know it's it's not it it doesn't mean you can't make a lot of money Warren Buffett has never used high-frequency trading algorithms yeah. and yet he is doing better than all of these investors, yeah. at yeah. least for now. So, yeah, it's, yeah,
2: it's a really intriguing industry. It is, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. So
0: I guess maybe to up the level of intrigue, we'll yeah. tell you just how successful some of these companies can be. Sure. So uh, the most famous one is a company called renaissance technologies yeah uh they were founded by a physicist uh james simons
2: there you go yeah Saudi.
0: yeah no nah, he uh what he's now worth you know 18, 18 billion, billion. Yeah. yeah but to give you an idea of just how good these trading algorithms are the the company has a basically it's an employees only fund so only people who work for the company can put money in this fund this fund from 1994 to 2014 has averaged 71.8% return per year. <laughs> that means every year you're getting 70% back. So,
2: amazing, <laughs> amazing returns. They'd all be multi-millionaires. Oh, billionaires. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, it's crazy. How do you get involved yeah. in that? So to give you like some perspective, Warren Buffett, if you, averaged, if you annualized out his return, it's about in the low 20s I think
2: yeah yeah and these guys which is considered incredible yeah phenomenal yeah
0: yeah. I mean it's made him as wealthy as he is now yeah but these guys for 20 years have averaged 70% 70% yeah it's just like unheard of unheard of (laughs)
2: And that's why I said in the start, in the, in the Who Am I, you often hear that people say quant funds don't lose money. Mm. And that's because, I mean, you're not going to program an algorithm to put a trade through when mm. to lose money. Yeah. So, I mean, all right, if the, you are get the, it on these, you'd yeah. be killing it. The,
0: um, the 1987 uh, recession was partly caused by trading algorithms because the way they were programmed was when the bottom fell out of the market, it triggered certain things in the algorithms no, that... Yeah, and yeah. That, that exacerbated the um, market collapse. Mm. But, you know, at this stage, these funds have figured out all their kinks and, yeah, they don't <laughs> lose money because, well, they've been through the, the 87 recession, the dot-com crash, the global financial yeah. crisis, like... Yeah. They figured it out yeah. now. They, yeah, they know what they're doing. I'd like
2: to be able to give an example of like how these equations are, are built and what they're looking for, but
0: like I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. You know, like... So it's things like when they see a difference in the, oh, it's like the difference in the bid and the ask price on different markets, then they um, they it's get like, that fraction of the difference. So it's like
2: putting two betting companies next to each other and sort of arbitrage. Exactly.
0: To, yeah. Know, that's a know, big one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, to be honest, like I, as I Who said, knows?
2: I don't really understand it. <laughs> so, uh, did did you want to add anything else there? I've got a sort of in, a question to wrap that one up. No, nah, far away. The the question I have is: what does what does this mean for the broader investing industry? If computers can be programmed to do this and they're getting returns as such, do we have a problem
0: in terms of? Investors losing their jobs down the track or... Ah, uh, it's, it's tough. When yeah. they bring in AI, can these? So, I mean, because you would say that investors would... Some investors would have lost their jobs because these trading algorithms and systems are doing so well. But then by the same token, all of a sudden, all these maths and physics PhDs have jobs to build the algorithms and build the supercomputers and all that. So, I mean, I don't know if it would be a net loss or gain... I think what we're going to see is that investors have to specialize in certain ways. So, you're, not, you're, going, to have, you're going to have less and less investors, you know, the, the old school stereotype on the floor yeah, or yeah. on the phone, like buy, 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 sell, 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 like looking at charts, like rating bits, you know, yeah, yelling, yeah. all that. Yeah. Like that sort Fair of gone. generalist investor probably won't exist anymore. Yeah. What we'll have is incredibly smart, you know, computer scientists and maths geniuses, building these algorithms and building stuff like that. And then we'll probably also have more sort of fundamental-focused analysts mm. who you know, look at qualitative factors that computers mm. aren't particularly adept at doing. So well, there'll be jobs. It'll just be different.
2: As an investor, though, if you have the option, as a mum and dad investor, and you have the option of putting your money into... Fund A, which has an investing style where you've got analysts there looking at fundamentals, for example, or option of putting
0: your money into a quant fund, like,
2: wouldn't you just go straight for the quant fund?
0: Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but, but the thing is, like, this is, this is how bubbles form, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like, everyone is like, quant funds are going to make so much money. Yeah. And so, everyone starts putting all their money into these quant funds. And then the opportunities for these trading algorithms become less yeah. and less yeah. because there are so many more trading algorithms yeah. going for those. Yeah. So then they have to start taking more and more risk, risk. for less yeah. return. Yeah. Bubble forms keeps growing. Yeah. All of these value investors and growth investors who are doing fundamental analysis, because they're being left out in the cold, there's all these opportunities because yeah. no one wants to play in their field. Yeah. And they start making more and more outsized returns compared to like the, the risk-reward skews. And then people recognize that there's money to be made over there and then money flows in yeah. the other way. I mean just, just like all the these Steve, things are cyclical yeah. And whatever going on yeah exactly there. yeah exactly.
2: All right well, we've done fundamental, we've done quantitative investing. Now for the third one, who am I? My style evolves from the study of overall political and economic views and conditions of countries. I try to understand large-scale events to consider and then predict what impact it will have on companies and investing opportunities. Major considerations for me are things like interest rates, GDP growth rates, trade and foreign relations, and complex systems. One of the most recognizable examples of an investor using my style was George Soros, making billions of dollars from investing against the sterling. Investments are made across all asset classes using my style.
0: You are Global Macro. Yes,
2: rating. yes. Global Macro. So that's our third style. And for those of you, that you are unaware, macro in finance and economics means the, the bigger picture. And so that's what this investing style is all about. And, you know, for me, there are some parallels with fundamental in, 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 in some way because you will use a macro approach in fundamental in in terms of an industry scale or a trend scale, but um, macro doesn't necessarily look at the fundamentals of companies so, like.
0: Yeah, I guess the distinction is in a fundamental view, you're doing a bottom-up approach. So yeah. you're looking at the company and then you're looking at how that company is positioned in a broader environment, yeah. whereas in macro style, it's Bo- uh, it's Spot top down. down. Yeah. So you're looking at how whole economies are performing and how whole political s- yeah. like systems are, and are leading, that, yeah. and then you're identifying the opportunities there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: That's a good way to put it. And that's pretty much it in a nutshell,
0: mm. really. Um, so, so, probably the best way to explain this for people who don't quite get how you can trade based on like political outcomes and yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. is by way of some examples. Yeah. For example, right now, oh, Venezuela is collapsing as a country. Uh, Nicolas Maduro is, has seized power um, after Chavez died. There's riots in the street. There's catastrophic food shortages. And obviously, like, in a situation like that, you don't want to make money. Mm. Well, it's not the first thought. But macro traders out there, a lot of them will have made a lot of money. By shorting the Venezuelan currency, yeah, um, because as part of all this instability, the currency collapsed. Yeah, so that's a way that you could capitalize on that political event. Yeah, you know, another one, Brexit. If you shorted the pound when Brexit happened, uh, you would have made a lot of money. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you look at something like what's happening in North Korea at the moment, uh, because of all this global instability you'll see people fleeing to sort of safe haven assets. Yeah. So you look at going long gold, you look at going long the US dollar, um, things like that. I Um, would say
2: uh, one that I can think of is looking at things like the relationship that OPEC has going on, you know, the oil companies, how they decide how much oil they're going to be producing. That has on effects on a global scale that you can... Then make decisions on what to invest in.
0: All that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah, and I mean so you can do macro analysis down to a company level. And what do I mean by that is rather than looking at the company first and its balance sheet, you can look at what's happening globally and then make decisions about investing in certain industries. Mm. So you could say, you know, military tensions are on the lot, on the on the rise, Trump is is demanding that NATO all pay two percent of their budgets to military uh, spending. Uh, China is building up its military at a really fast rate, as is Russia. I'm going to go long military contractors because of that, like global macro trend. trend yeah. yeah.
2: Just to, can you explain what long means?
0: Yeah. So that means you're going to invest in the companies. You're going to think you think that they're going to go up in price. Yeah rather than uh, shorting which is when they go down which is when you bet on them going down in price yeah yeah to give another
2: example of that sort of train of thought relates back to what we were speaking about Alibaba before if you start at the top and think okay so China is going through great structural change at the moment we're seeing a huge increase in the number of middle income earners that's going to generate a lot more revenue or uh, expenditure from this population, where are they going to start spending their money? Then you look at places like Australia, what they're going to be spending their money on. And then you look at companies that you think are going to benefit from this huge increase in consumer spending from the Chinese. So, yeah, definitely. That's another macro approach.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, cool. So, oh, we should, we've got to give um, Daniel Wan a plug here because. He is uh, the very definition of a macro trader. Big time. Uh, yeah, and his interview, like he's a seriously smart guy. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to that interview, definitely check it out. Yeah, he he's, gives a good idea of what macro trading yeah, is. Yeah, yeah.
2: I also want to mention that macro applies to all asset classes. And when I mean by asset classes is, it's not just about stocks and companies. As you mentioned, Ren, you can look at um, gold, currency, oil, bonds, bonds, anything that you can literally put money in and get a return, macro affects that.
0: Yeah. Even things like commodities, yeah, wheat, corn. Nuts. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Literally, yeah, like another macro thing. There's a drought in California. The global nut price will rise because California is the largest nut producer in the world. Let's go long cashew nuts, you know. like.
2: Floods happening in Southeast Asia, the rice paddies aren't producing as much as they were, price of rice is going to go up. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, you, when we say, we've said in previous episodes, you can apply anything that's going on in the world, you can apply that to investing. This is, uh, the way to do it. Th- this is sort of where you see that come through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Reading the news, it's, that's where you start your macro approach. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, Daniel Watt, check out his interview. As you said, Ren, very interesting guy, incredibly smart. And famous investors in this style, as I mentioned, George Soros. He he made a billion dollars from betting on price movements in the sterling. Yeah. Um, which so, is the British pound. Which is the British pound. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not going to say much more about that, but just um, go into Wikipedia and check it out. Yeah. Super interesting story, and he he had a very macro approach. Yeah. So we've done macro, we've done quantitative, and we have done fundamental. That leaves us with two to go. So far, you're on three out of three. Oh,
0: mate, killing (laughs) it.
2: I thought we will go to... Well, who am I? Don't tell me. (laughs) Charts and statistics are my best friend. The psychology of the market is often considered when investing in my style. One of my basic assumptions is that price changes are not random, so I can profit from trends as I look for patterns in price movements volumes and averages to try and predict what's going to happen. I believe that past price behaviours are likely to influence future price movements more so than the intrinsic value of the company. Who am I? You are
0: technical analysis.
1: Beep, <laughs> 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 Correct.
2: Four out of four. So, unless you really cook it, you're going to yeah, get the fifth yeah, one. It's no, to, up to ruin it from here. But yes, technical analysis. Now... That may sound... Some of the things I've said there, charts and statistics, you know, that sort of stuff, people might get confused with quantitative in the sense that, oh, you know, maths and all that jazz, but they're two entirely different investing styles. Yeah. Um, So...
0: This is probably the one that people associate with investing the most, you know, uh, looking at charts and trying to predict where the price will go. Yeah. And there's a whole body of literature around technical analysis and... What they essentially do is they use uh, charts and they use volume. Yeah. So, that's trading volume, how many buyers and how many sellers yeah. to try and guess price movements. Yeah. And there are all these things they use um, in, in the charts. They identify different formations yeah. that they think okay. or that that lead to different things. Yeah. Um, it's not something that I'm particularly... Uh, I don't believe in it at the end <laughs> of the day. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just
2: didn't, didn't want to say it. But <laughs> to be honest, like... You, you could have one technical analyst, and I mean, this does apply to all sorts of investing, but you could have one technical analyst sitting next to the, another technical analyst, and their charts and formations could be completely different. Mm. And so it's just so hard to you know, formulate if you're not really involved in it, yeah. looking at a chart and trying. They're literally just trying to predict how a price is going to move, just like quantitative and unlike um, fundamental. They're not investing in companies. They're not investing in the fundamentals yeah, not you. necessarily going long
0: either. They're yeah. investing
2: in price movements. Yeah.
0: As as a technical trader, you're just as adept at trading like wheat futures yeah. as you are at trading, you know, uh, government bonds. Yeah. All like, yeah. Or gold. Like it's all it's all about the technical indicators. It's all about uh, trading volumes, trading patterns, and stuff like that. Um, now, look, just because we don't understand it like there are a lot of people out there who make a lot of money including some of our friends who believe in it and um do okay with it but look there is also a large number of investors that don't think it's very relevant my personal opinion is i think that there are some things that are that are true like using volume uh is obviously a good indicator of where price is going to move um Look, you can you look at charts sometimes to see support levels yeah. so if a, if a stock falls where it will sort of fall back yeah but i think then people extrapolate things that are true to an extent where they start getting into a bit of sort of murkier waters and then there's a big situation of confirmation bias yes so yes. you know when you really think about it stocks are either going to go up or they're going to go down yeah um and, and it to fit their own agenda well yeah yeah but you know you could no no trader no trader is going to get every, it right every time no. but if you draw enough charts and then you the price goes the the way that you you say it will it doesn't necessarily mean that your no theory yeah. or drawing on the chart or you, you, yeah is r- right. is correct yeah. yeah but yeah look we're probably going to get a lot of pissed off people <laughs> listening to this at the moment cuz yeah, you know, it's we, just not
2: something we agree with really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And
0: I I just don't I don't think his like historical performance necessarily means things will happen in the future. No, like no, trend, I, trends are real. Yeah. But but trends are real because of the underlying business yeah. doing something that yeah. is causing that trend. Not but
2: because of the chart The trend drawn isn't over caus- the
0: top. Yeah, the trend isn't causative, the trend is the effect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: I, I mean there are some charts that I will look at to somehow help substantiate my own thesis. And uh, as I said, I just don't know enough about it, but I also don't really want to go down that path. Yeah. It's just not my style. Yeah. Um, but as we said, yeah, by all means, give it a crack if, yeah. you,
0: if you want. So there are some people that have made more than a fluky amount of money doing yes. it. So there's yeah, obviously something to it. Yeah, definitely. And we've got two examples to just give you an idea of the amount of money you can make. Yeah. Uh, so the first one is Marty Schwartz. Now he started with 400 grand in his account. He made it into 20 million dollars just <laughs> using technical analysis. Uh, and then another bloke, Ed Secoita, he was trading for, on behalf of one of his clients, and that client saw an increase of 250,000 percent. Yeah, that means so that every you
2: put one dollar in, yeah, you get
0: 250,000. Yeah. Which is just unbelievable, like li- literally unbelievable. Yes,
2: yeah. I I want to point out as well that the, another characteristic of technical trading is that it's very short term. Yeah, very short, very yeah. short term trading. Just as quantitative quantitative is, these companies also trade short a lot of the time, meaning that they will not only be looking at price price movements to increase in stocks, but they'll be looking at price movements that are going to decrease and looking to capitalise on that by shorting.
0: Mm. Now, look, I, I thought it was so unbelievable that I just double-checked yeah. that he actually did get 250000 yeah. It's true. He turned five grand into $15 million over 12 years. Whoa. So he got 250,000% return. In 12 years. Whoa. That's actually so crazy. I wonder, if
2: he, I wonder if part of that was just one massive payday. Oh, you know big payday. <laughs> yeah. Or if it, was a, if it was a consistent so, return
0: over 12 years. So what? I'm 24 now, 12 years. Imagine if I had five grand, put it in the market, and when I was 36, I walked away with $15, 15 million. million. You're retired. God. Ed, if you're listening, give me a call. call (laughs) You can invest my money.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, just a a quick summary on technical. Um, It's short-term and it it definitely uses um, charts and focuses on price movement and volumes especially um, as their main character or as their main tools for trying to predict price movements. They look at the historical price movements and try and make predictions on what's going to happen in the short term. So that is technical analysis as a form of investing. So to finish, we've got the final one, the final who am I, can Ren bring it home with five out of five. (laughs) The short one, I require little work or research and I'm a relatively safe option for beginners. I track indexes and use weighted
0: portfolios. Who am I? You are passive investing. Correct. Correct. Ding, ding, ding. There you <laughs> go. It takes five, five out five.
2: of five. So passive investing. This is certainly one that is trending now in a big way. Um, not for no real particular reason. I think maybe because, you know, we're starting to see technologies that
0: are allowing it to happen. And I mean, um, the, the reason is that actively managed portfolios right, where yeah, uh, true. where people choose the stocks or computers choose stocks aren't doing as well as just the overall market. And there's obviously lower fees involved in the overall market. So people are seeing better returns if they put their money in a fund that just follows the whole market rather than giving it to um, a a fund that's going to try and beat the market. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So passive investing comes from the idea that, you know, it sort of talks about that you can't beat the market.
0: Yeah, so it, there's there's a, a hypothesis. It's called the efficient market hypothesis. Yeah, and essentially what that means is that the market has already priced in all available, all publicly available information, and uh, it is efficient at getting the right price for any security, or asset, or share. Yeah, um, and therefore you can't. Beat, beat the that. market yeah. because it, the market is so efficient. Yeah. Now in I, reality, if that was true, then we wouldn't have investors getting outsized returns. Yeah. You wouldn't have market failure. You wouldn't have people losing money. Yeah. It um, it just it doesn't it doesn't make intuitive sense that mm-hmm. the market is perfectly efficient. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that is the theory. Yeah. Um, and the people who believe it are uh, they just say, put your money in an index and just let it follow the market and you will do better over time.
2: And that's because time is probably one of the biggest considerations in passive investing because they believe that over time the market is always going to go
0: up. Yeah, it it increases a on average, over the very long term, at about 6 or 7% a year. Yeah, on yeah. average, over a very long period yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's when you smooth out, you know, recessions and GFCs, bubbles and yeah. all that. Yeah. yeah, about 6 or 7% a year. So, you know, if you're 20 and you put your money away in an index for 30 years, you're going to have a nice little nest egg there um, for your retirement if you just let it sit in an index. Mm. Yeah. Something
2: else that you mentioned before and... Uh, Another consideration and I guess a reason why people like passive investing is because of the low cost. So if you're investing privately in any of the above that we've spoken about, you're likely to pay high management fees. You're likely to pay fees for brokerage and all that sort of stuff. Whereas a passive style is
0: meant to be a low cost option. Put it in there let it run. To give you some idea, the the sort of industry standard for actively managed funds is two and twenty which is two percent of all assets under management the manager takes as fees and then twenty percent of any outsized profit over above a third above a certain threshold so that's heaps you know that's a fifth of your your outsized profit if um you're in a good actively managed fund whereas you know some of these indexes take less than a percent like a point of a percent in fees because they don't do anything they just literally leave it in the index Mm. Um, mm. just over the long term yeah and over the long
2: term that makes a considerable difference yeah yeah
0: cool so um,
2: what are some ways that you can be involved in passively investing
0: so you would be investing in index funds which are uh, they're exchange traded funds that just buy a basket of stocks that represent a market yeah. so we the example that we use here is the ASX 200, which yeah. is the 200 biggest stocks in Australia. You can buy a ETF um, which has all 200 companies in it, and you know as the market rises 1% that uh, ETF will rise 1% as well.
2: Passive investing is considered a lower risk option and it also requires little time. You don't have to sit back and research individual stocks. You don't have to worry about price movements of gold or oil or whatever um, because, as you said, it's a weighted portfolio. You've got all the companies in there. You can just put your money in and let it run. Mm. Um, So it's a very good option and we've spoken about it a lot of times in previous episodes. It's a great option for beginners um, to have a look at
0: Yeah. And to give you an idea of how passive investing goes against active investing, Warren Buffett in 2008 uh, made a bet with Protege Partners, which is an actively managed fund. Mm -hmm. They were allowed to pick five funds and Warren just picked the S&P 500, which is the 500 biggest public companies in America. uh, And they made a bet over who would make more money. By the end of 2016, the S&P 500 had risen by 85.5%, whereas Protege had only seen 22% increase. So Warren literally just bought the American market and held it uh, at that stage for eight years, and he saw 85% return. Wow. Whereas these uh, Protege partners tried to pick the best of the best, and they only saw a 22% return in eight years, yeah.
2: There you go, so that's a great example of... The passive style, of the yeah, mansion. yeah. I mean, we have been in a big bull market. Yeah, but, yeah. He got it in two thousand and eight. So, like right, GFC yeah. and then yeah, yeah. he's
0: yeah. he's had some good fortunate. Yeah,
2: but, well, yeah. He 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 did not nothing, and then, and we came out on top. Yeah. So, so that's passive rent. So we've we we'll, we will wrap up there. We've gone through the fundamental. We've gone through technical. We've gone through quantitative. We've gone through macro, and we've gone through passive five styles of investing. And as you said, right at the start, you know, there's probably a a number more, but that's the five main that we consider. Yep. I want to just quickly wrap up by asking you, what's your favorite style and what does, and I guess that leads into what does your portfolio reflect? Yeah.
0: So, as you said at the start, it's not, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Uh, So, intuitively, I think that fundamental analysis makes the most sense to me Mm -hmm. because, it's just conceptually, I understand it, and yeah, it, it makes sense how that, that money that, that company will grow over time and the share price will reflect that. So fundamental analysis is definitely the analysis that I lean towards. Mm-hmm. And more and more I'm also getting interested in sort of macro yeah. uh, because I'm interested in politics and all that yeah. stuff. Um, and drawing that connection between that sort of interest and in my interest in investing, has become something that has interests me. Yeah. What about you?
2: Yeah, I'm the same. I will often start with a macro approach to try and identify opportunities and then, as I said, top to bottom work my way and then fundamental makes the most sense to me. Mm. Um, I think, for me, investing is buying a business and that's done through fundamental analysis and... I don't have the... And I'm playing to my strengths as well. Like I don't have the skills to get involved in quantitative (laughs) investing. And I just don't really see... I mean, I'm a strong believer in passive as well, don't get me wrong. I am involved in that. My portfolio reflects that. But yeah, I just... As we've both mentioned in a number of episodes, I love the way that macro and fundamental investing force you to look at the world in in an intriguing way. It keeps keeps you very open-minded. And you don't have to be a whiz to do it.
0: No, we're definitely not and we're managing for it, (laughs) so yeah, yeah.
2: cool. Yeah, well that's a wrap, we've gone through the five, Um, we have given you a few things that we've learnt during the week, but more importantly, we're doing this live together for the first time in a (laughs) long time, Um, and yeah, it's good to be down in Melbourne And it's uh, been a fun episode.
0: Yeah, and we're looking forward to bringing you a cracking interview next week. Yes, well, that's the reason I'm down in here. But but we we won't say any more. We'll leave you in suspense. (laughs) Yeah, we're very
2: excited to bring you this next guest. Um, We'll leave it at that. But yeah, definitely tune in next week. Um, And we really look forward to bringing this guy to you. Yeah. So. Equity out.
1: (laughs) Equity Mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. This is the story of the WAN. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything
2: on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping.